So let's everybody warm up, get to it. Hello, hello. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Seeker. Season 1 is the Book of James. We decided to kick off this podcast with the Book of James because no matter what your background or what your experience is with uh, Christianity or the Bible, um, this is a very accessible way to understand what it means to be a Christian. So we are, in fact, just three guys talking. This is uh, Daniel, Jesse, and Julian. We are talking about the book of James. Jesse, say hello. Yo. And Julian, say hello. Hello. Those are the voices, so get used to them. Uh, We wanted to talk about the book of James for a few different reasons, I think. Um, It's a really fascinating book. It's one of my favorites in the New Testament, because James is... He's sort of all over the place, but at the same time, he's talking very directly. And very concretely about things that we need to do and ways that we need to think about our faith. And um, So is James like Jesse James? Who wrote this? The problem is that I've read like four different answers to that question. Oh. Is it the brother of Jesus? Is, is, it, is, is it James the just his brother? Is it some other James? Is it... Um, is it I kind of tend toward thinking it's Jesus' brother. Same here. Uh, okay, so there's really three main options for the author of James. Um, one is that it was James, the brother of John, and the son of Zebedee. Um, he wasn't believed to have written any scripture uh, by most individuals out there. No one thinks that he did. Uh, there was James, the son of Alphaeus, referred to in Mark 15, verse 40, as James the Younger. And then there was uh, the third option, which is James being the brother of Jesus himself, um, there are several verses that indicate that his brothers didn't believe in him at first. Um, that would include his brother Judas, who most likely ended up writing the book of Jude, and uh, James, um, among some of his other brothers. Uh, what's interesting, though, is that we do seem to learn in other scriptures that um, after the resurrection, they became quite convinced in the deity of Jesus. And we see that pattern also with um, Saul, who became Paul, um, in the conviction of their faith happening um, when uh, before they were not uh, friendly towards that. So there's many scriptures um, that show that James actually indeed went on to become a powerhouse in serving uh, and in his faith, and he became highly regarded and was very well known. And that's probably why the book doesn't really clarify further what James it was is probably just a given that, you know, this was the only James in the era that could just say, boom, this is James, and everyone would know who it was. And I think what's really cool is that it's pretty obvious once you start to read James is that he was present for the Sermon on the Mount. However and wherever that was delivered, James is super familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. And he knows, like, his book follows a lot of those themes that Christ developed when he was giving the Sermon on the Mount. He follows pretty closely to the practical sort of faith 
the day-to-day sort of active, living, vibrant faith that Jesus was describing in the Sermon on the Mount. And so whoever James was, he was there from the beginning. He was part of the original ministry. He was there early days. Um, Because, well, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit as we go on, is some of the tie-ins to the Sermon on the Mount and Mm -hmm. some of the the connections that are there. So I think we'll we'll explore some of those later. Yeah, I think it it, it even picks up that that the book of James has that that radical feeling uh, upon the the listeners that, that... the action that it's actually telling you to require. I know we're going to get into it, but when we start talking about faith, the way he's approaching it, he's saying, hey, look, just faith, just like this mental ascent that you have it, like not enough, not enough. That's insufficient, you know? And you get the same feeling from the Sermon on the Mount when you read through and you think about the listeners at that time, what they were hearing Jesus say, those things, very radical. Um, you know, even after you get off the blessed R's, once you get into the section where he's really looking back at Old Testament and saying, I know you've heard it said, however, this is what I mean. Like very, very radical teaching. And I, I really think that's, that's what we'll experience as we kind of talk through James. Yeah, that's one of the most fascinating things about the book is the the direct relevance. The sort of because when Romans says that you have to be not conformed to the world but transformed to the renewing of your mind, James is giving you directions how to be transformed. Right on. He's giving you instructions how to live your life every single day in the service of Christ and in the service of God and furthering that kingdom and furthering that word and making that a real active part of your your life. Which is is huge. It's what it's what it's all about, right? It's it's how we're supposed to mm-hmm. to be in this world. And so as we as we go through this, I'm really looking forward to hearing, um, you know, to sort of investigating and exploring what it is that we can do in our lives to be to be better servants for christ and i wonder if you can hear that outside it is really windy like it is super windy out there i thought there was like an air raid siren for a second. it was the end yeah. cut this podcast we've got to go underground yeah. who's that coming down in a cloud <laughs> well this is a great time for a podcast it's the lord <laughs> it's the lord hey we we're just talking about you no a thousand year reign all right yeah i think people can ease into this um no pun intended, pretty easily, right? Like, people can really get into James very quickly without having to, to have a big history in in Bible, in the church, and things like that. By verse 3, we're already tackling very tough topics, you know, about how we handle ourselves in adversity. So I think it's a really good book, especially for those who are just, just picking the Bible up for the first time or are very unchurched. I think it's, it's easy to, to kind of get started with. Do you want to talk a little bit about structure? Dr. Structure? Structure of the book of James? Yeah. The structure of James it's interesting. is very interesting. It's on the one hand, it's just there's it's structuralist, you know, he's just sort of all over the map. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, there are some general categories. And I just recently learned this myself and I thought it was an interesting way to look at the book of James, is that he starts off by talking about trials and temptations. He starts with count it all joy when you fall into trials and blessed is the man who endures temptation. And then he gets into it matters what we do. The things that we do is the focus of the next section of the book. 
He moves from there into it matters what we say. Mind the tongue and, and what a great fire kindles and all that. Uh, so that's the second um, sort of mini subset to James. Then he transitions from there into it matters what we think and our attitude and how we how we uh, respond how we how we what's in our hearts, the way that we think about things and the way that we view things and we the way that we see other people. So those are the three main subsets, and then he gets back into finishing up with a little more about trials and temptations. So the structure of the book, there's these sort of overarching uh, uh, conceptual categories that it falls into. Trials and temptations, what we do, what we say, what we think, and then concluding with trials and temptations. And then he concludes the very end with a very classic Greek letter send-off. The structure of that is, is pretty straightforward and pretty obvious. Who is this written to? James was written to the Christians of the Diaspora. Um, Whoa, he just went, used a big word. A diaspora. <laughs> a diaspora. A diaper. I don't, yeah, you you, the diaspora the were, were, were Jews of the first century who had been who'd moved out of the Holy Land. Who had moved out of Israel and were living, you know, apart. I think James uses uh, diaspora to mean. Uh, I don't think he's writing specifically to Jewish converts to Christianity. I don't think that's his his intended audience. I think he just uses the word to mean, you know, everybody. I'm flipping pages. You can hear that. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to edit. This I think out. you're right. I think when referred to as those of the dispersion, it wasn't necessarily those. It's right. those who had been scattered, right? Right. Um, and I agree. New King so James. these are basically Christians that he's preaching to then. Oh, certainly. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's certainly it, believers. Right, right. But I don't think it necessarily implies any sort of cultural background. I don't think it means, like, you have to have come up in this certain tradition in order to understand what James is saying. James is for everybody. Absolutely. Everyone is going through trials, temptations. And <clears throat> if we go back to, you know, talking about the outline, uh, I like the way that you kind of phrased it because I think that is a logical progression for how people will deal with trials and temptations. You're going to have a trial and temptation. Things are going to be tough. You have issues that you're trying to work through. And as you try to migrate away from maybe uh, doing some of the things that, that happen during a trial and temptation where maybe you fall down on a knee, bad things occur. Um, the first thing you're going to stop doing, you're going to stop doing the thing, right? That's easiest to do, you know, I'll stop murdering people because that's easier, right? Then I'm going to... I'm I have tr- that one covered. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you're good, yeah, <laughs> right? Good. See? And then the next thing is I'm, I'm going to try to work on what I say, right? I'm going to be quick to hear, slow to peak, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Like I'm going to stop. And then the very last piece, like the di- most difficult part, right, past the tongue is then how do I control how I think about these things? This thinking is what then will trigger the action to get me back in the game. Like, how do I do that? So it's very it's very logical for anyone um, of any persuasion to be able to pick it up and go, yeah, this is for me, you know? Um, so I really like the way that you pointed that out, Julian. I think that's really important, uh, not just for considering James and considering what he has to say, but for anybody looking to make any sort of change in their life, any sort of behavioral Mm -hmm. modification to use a really weird sounding phrase. (laughs) 
I want to be behaviorally modified. <laughs> <laughs> that just makes me think you of just... electric shocks in uh, yeah, Clockwork yeah. Orange. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And that's games in a nutshell. Uh, yeah. Clockwork Orange. I think our first podcast is over. We've <laughs> <laughs> done it. All right, so boom, right out of the gates, he hits us with uh, heavy heaviness right out of the gates. Counted all joy. Uh, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Um, you know, that's just interesting. Why do you think he sets the book up? And this is just, just a general question. Why do you think he sets the tone of the book right out of the gates with this? Like, I think it's in the word when. He doesn't say if you fall into trials. He says when you fall into trials. That's gonna happen. It's like Jesus said in John 15. In this world, you will have tribulation. It's coming. Everybody deals with trials. Everybody deals with struggles. Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic. People struggle. It just, it happens. And what James is trying to say is, when it happens, here's what you do. Here's how you think about it. Here's how you approach those trials. Count it all joy. What are you talking about, James? Count it all joy. That doesn't make any sense. But he's about to explain how we do that. He's about to tell us how to count it all joy and the reasons for doing that. But starting it off that way, I think, is because trials happen. They happen to everybody all the time. And it's one of those, it's just part of being alive in a fallen world, right? It's it, Struggles are going to come. Trials are going to come. Difficult times are going to happen. And they take all different forms and shapes. Okay, so I just wanted to step out real fast and talk about the types of trials that these early Christians would have been going through. They were not first world problems that they were facing. The early Christians were being persecuted. They would have known people that would have been killed. They would have been uh, had loved ones that had terrible things happen to them. And um, so it's this level of significance um, that they were facing when it came to their trials. And um, James isn't specifically talking only about that type of trial, but that was certainly a large part of what that audience would have understood. So I just wanted to put the whole um, spectrum of the types of trials that they had into context. Yeah, and it's so in verse one where he starts out and he says, I'm a bond servant of God. Like I'm a servant of God, I'm a slave um, to the, the rule and the authority and the kingdom. Like when he starts it out like that, he, he's actually even telling us right off the bat that what he is concerned about or should be concerned about is joy, not his happiness. Like he's starting it out right there by saying, look, I take a knee to everything I want to do and I'm 100% laying myself down. Then he gets into what it seems like a crazy statement, count it all joy. Um, so he, he kind of tells us from the beginning, to your point, that he's looking at something else besides like this surface temporal happiness. We're already going happiness and joy. Let's do it, Right. He he goes ahead and tells us that I'm not I'm not as concerned about my happiness. I am concerned about joy, something that has a an eternal piece to it, you know. Um, and then once you consider the fact that he's saying I'm a servant of God, like that is that is my level of humility. That's what I want to do. Then this this what he will say then is like very radical. It it makes sense, right? As happiness is so dependent on what happens, and it's so conditional, and it's so fleeting because if you're happy you know happiness is a temporary emotional state whereas joy 
is like you both said and said it really well it's a spiritual state of being a joyful person can be happy quite frequently you know happiness and joy aren't mutually exclusive but joy comes from understanding something on a much deeper level than surface temporary fleeting happiness does well, and also, it seems like he's talking about, you know, it's not joy in the moment of the trial. It's not like, you know, this deep feeling of, you know, gratefulness or, you know, this deep feeling of joy because of, is because of the outcome of the trial, right? Which is, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And then it says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that's where the joy comes in. See, you skip the very first word of verse 3. James 1, chapter 3. What's the very first word? 4. You have a weird translation. Knowing? Knowing. Oh, for you know. Yeah, it's the knowing (laughs) that these things happen. And I think that that's what James is calling us to, is an understanding of the deeper spiritual realities and an understanding of the deeper spiritual interplay that's happening in our lives. You know, <clears throat> I, I think, Jesse, you were saying that maybe the we don't have the joy in the middle of it, or maybe it's at the end, but I don't know. I struggle with that part, too, because when I think about Paul in Second Corinthians, you know, he was talking about the fact that he had a thorn in the flesh, and he he would like very much for the Lord to remove that and, and kind of make a change in him so that he could move forward. And, and it's kind of my thinking that he thought that he could be a little better um, or maybe even more productive if it wasn't there. But Jesus says that my grace is sufficient for you. And, and in, in essence, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And where you are weak, I'm strong. Like my strength will amplify in all your weaknesses. So it's almost like as Paul looked in his life and he could see where there were divots and there were issues and there were trials and there were tests and he was struggling, the Lord just kind of filled in all those gaps. And I think I was... You know, from what you were saying, if you look at that, when even when you're going through all the pain and the suffering or the trial or the temptation, you do kind of get joy from it because it just, it reminds you of how faithful God is, you know, and you're able to say, oh, even whenever I'm going through this, the Lord is so faithful, like it does put a smile on your face. I, I think you do start to have joy even in the midst of really tough situations uh, because of it, because of God's faithfulness. So you're saying I'm wrong? No, I'm saying we just disagree. <laughs> <laughs> saying you need to feel joy about yeah. this. If you would have read James, maybe you'd have a better idea of what we're trying to say. But no, I, th- I see what you're disagree. saying. I see what you're saying though, because it's you know it, it is counted all joy. I mean, he's talking like present tense, you know, basically in the moment, because um, basically because of what is going, to, what what's being produced by this trial, right? And that's a that's like a live moment of joy that you can feel, and you're not feeling joy because of the trial or the temptation, obviously, but it's because of you know what it's producing. Right, right. right. Your perspective, and I go back to him being a bond servant, and, and maybe we'll we'll get into more of you know just being the servant and servant's mentality, but um, it, it's one that has a totally different perspective than the world, and it's very hard. I mean, it, it does take itself from really being a newborn person in Christ to a very spiritually mature person, um, to which I'm not, and maybe this guy is, right? So, but we're on this, we're stepping up up the mountain, and we're, we're slowly getting there, and I think that's the other thing James calls you out to say, is like, just understand that wherever you are, like, the Lord's still going to 
take you to the next step. And it takes a lot of that to be able to accept some of these things that he's saying. That's a fantastic point, is that these things, you know, you're not going to wait. Nobody's going to wake up tomorrow morning and be like, I get it. I can count it all joy every single time something bad happens to me. That That's completely unrealistic. It's hard. Yeah. And it's absolutely a work in progress. I mean, everyone is a work in progress. I'm certainly nowhere near, <laughs> nowhere near that level of of being able to just look at a struggle and say, you know what, it's it's going to be okay. I yeah, I deal with struggles all the time, and sometimes you get bogged down, and sometimes you get lost, and it's not easy to see the way out. Which is another reason why I think James is when James says keep in mind know what the end is because sometimes that end is impossible to see right and sometimes like what happened with Paul the end is not what you want it to be you know you get a negative outcome mm-hmm. i think of Paul writing in first in uh the first verse of philippians um where he says you know he's in chains he's a prisoner and there are people outside of the jail preaching Christ for all the wrong reasons. And people are bad-mouthing Paul. And he's locked up, you know. And, and Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18, all these things are going on. And Paul says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. So with everything that was going on in his life, Paul could look at the the outcome of that trial. He could understand that there was a spiritual reality happening at the same time. And that spiritual reality was Christ being preached. I pray that one day I'll get to that point. That would be I think what James is that would be the fruition of what James is telling us here. But for the for it's it's sufficient for me now. To be able to say, I can go to First James or James chapter one, and try to maybe remember to read this and to think about it when I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I think that's the first step. I think that's where everybody's launching point is. Yeah. Is just if I can remember to think about that, then the next time I go into a trial, maybe that gets a little easier, and I get a little deeper understanding. And then maybe the next trial after that. You know, things come a little, uh, comes a little quicker. Mm-hmm. It's always a learning process, and it's always a, a, a we're stepping up the mountain. And none of us is at the top. We're all on the journey together. And, you know, whatever resources we have at hand, be they James, be they one another, be they a friend or a spouse or, you know, a, a preacher that we know, anybody we can talk to, any resource that we can come to, I think is helpful and beneficial, and I hope that this may be that sort of benefit. Thanks for listening to Seeker. Find us at seekerpodcast.com. Visit our website to find information about the Seeker Project. Also check out our blog and other information that we have there as well. Thanks, guys and gals. Have a good one.